to be uh, with us once again. And you will do everything within your power to make that happen. And for that, God, we say thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, to recap, because um, I'm not going to read the story from Luke 8, uh, the, the story is uh, the story about, a, uh, they call him a demoniac. Uh, he had uh, a, a legion of demons within him. And if you recall the way the story goes, uh, Jesus shows up on the shore. He's in Gentile territory. And there's a man running around a graveyard naked. Uh, and Jesus walks up to the man and begins to speak to him. And the man, or the demons, it's unclear, uh, begin to speak back, and they say things like, uh, leave me alone and, and stop tormenting me, uh, and then Jesus uh, proceeds to ask, what's your name? Uh, and the demons speak at this point, and they say, legion, uh, which is a, a Roman army, right, uh, is inside of this man. Uh, and then Jesus proceeds to cast out the demons into a herd of pigs. Uh, some swine were there. Uh, those go rushing into a lake that is nearby, um, and then they all die. And uh, the man is left seated at Jesus' feet, like a good disciple would be. And Jesus is now his rabbi, and it says that he is clothed, fully clothed, uh, and that he is in his right mind. And then what happens next is that the townspeople hear of the event, and then the event uh, gets spread world, or not worldwide, but uh, throughout uh, the city and the region, and they're all afraid. It says they are seized by fear, which interestingly is the same thing uh, that it says about the, the man, that he is seized by the demons. Well, these folks, they are seized by fear, and they send Jesus away. Uh, but then the, the conclusion to the story is that the man himself, who has been healed of the demons, uh, he is um, desirous of being with Jesus full-time, full-time disciple. This is what he asks to do. And uh, Jesus, interestingly, says no. He, he sends him back home, if you remember, right? He says, uh, go back home. Uh, or as we talked about two weeks ago, go back to your household, go back to those people who knew you and loved you and cared for you, and um, go back to them and, and preach what God has done for you. And sure enough, this is exactly what he does, right? Um, the story stuck with me, I guess, and it's the part that I didn't necessarily really dive headlong into, not the part about the pigs, I'm sorry, um, the part about the man's response to Jesus. The man's response to Jesus. This is uh, kind of uh, what is interesting to me and what I want to spend today talking about, because uh, if you catch it, he, he rejects Jesus at first, right? He's pushing him away, he's, and he's saying, no, like, go, go away from me and stop tormenting me, right? Which is very different than most of what we see in the gospel stories. When somebody comes to Jesus and Jesus comes to somebody, it's usually a case of, I'm in a desperate need of you, Jesus, Right? 
And so just kind of a few uh, real quick ones to, to, to get your mind going here, right? There's a guy who's blind, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, give me my sight back. There's a few of these stories, in fact, and Jesus does, right? Or there's a woman who's bleeding, uh, and she says, and she just reaches out and touches the hem of his and and she, too, is healed. She's, she's searching for this. She's reaching out for it, right? Or uh, there is the guy with the withered hand. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus heals him on, on the Sabbath, right? And, and then there's uh, the, the multiple accounts uh, of the dead being raised and, and people bringing the dead to Jesus. And the, there's the little girl, and there's the boy, and there's Lazarus. And in all of these cases, people are, are seeking Jesus to do this wonderful thing. And in no way are they saying, go away, go away. But in this case, in this case, we have a case where a guy is meeting the one person who can fix his problem. He pushes him away, right? He tries to push Jesus away. Luke 8, in this way, is different. Jesus is not invited. He is resisted. And he is told to go away. And there is one specific statement in the entirety of the story that kept kind of, dare I say, tormenting me. <laughs> it, it's, it's the statement about the, the man saying to Jesus, don't torment me, right? Don't torment me. And the more I got thinking about that, like, that's the exact opposite thing that Jesus was there to do, right? Not only is Jesus there uh, to heal him, he, he's not there to torment him, but the very thing that is tormenting him, the demons, right? That's what Jesus is there to get rid of. And so there's this man in dire straits, and he can't see up from down, and he can't figure out who his real tormentor is in life, and he's lashing out at one thing, when in reality, it's the other thing that is tormenting him. You see what I'm getting at? Now, last week or two weeks ago, uh, I cast it as a, uh, a story about demons, but not demons, which is kind of how I want to stick with it for today. Uh, Kendall and I had this wonderful uh, conversation on the way home from Kentucky uh, about demons and uh, the nature of demons and how this all fits together. And, where, and uh, uh, as I said a couple weeks ago, the fact of the matter is I don't run into uh, literal demons on any regular basis in the world. But, as I said, I run into other kinds of demons on a very regular basis, and they have different names. They may not be called legion, but they might be called depression. They might be called envy, addiction. They might be called fear. That's what those townspeople had, fear. They might be called anxiety, or maybe it's regret or resentment. 
whatever it is that you're running into on a regular, routine basis that is tormenting you day after day or week after week, and only you know its name. And I want to encourage you this morning to name it, to find that thing, and to put a name to it. And it could be sin, what we typically call sin, yes. Very well maybe. But it may not be. It may be something else. Maybe it's something that happened to you in the past that keeps coming up over and over and over again. Or, or maybe it's something that uh, you just can't let go of. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it is that envy that is stuck inside of you or that jealousy. Again, only you can know the name of what that is. And I assure you, you're not the only one in the room with it. And you're not the only one in the room with a demon of some kind that keeps haunting you over and over and over again. And of course, Jesus has come to do what? To set the captive free, to set you free. And this is what we need to talk about this morning. I was at my 20th college reunion uh, while we went home to Kentucky. And uh, we had a good time. We saw people we haven't seen in 20 years. Uh, there's always the awkward, um, I think I know this person, but let me look at their name tag first. Uh, thank God for name tags, uh, because even if I had remembered their face, I probably didn't remember their name. Uh, and so um, we're there, and uh, there was a worship service, and there was a one woman uh, who gave a testimony and um, in her testimony, uh, it was quite gripping, actually. She, she talked about being a leader at college and how she was very popular at this small school. And everybody at the school knew who she was. And she could walk around campus. And everyone would be able, able to say her name. Uh, and everyone would know exactly who she was. Except that there was a chapel service one day. We had three chapels a week, if you can believe that. Talk about spiritual formation, right? Three chapels a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I went to chapel. Kendall and I both went to chapel uh, for the four years of our college. And one of these chapels, uh, there was a speaker who came, and he asked a very pointed question uh, that aroused in this woman a, a concern that, in fact, though she was known by everyone she was known by no one. And the question was something along the lines of, who knows your heart, right? Who knows your heart? Who knows what's really going on inside there? Everyone knew her, but no one knew her. She had many friends, but she didn't have a friend. No one knew her heart's deepest struggles, and she may as well have been the demoniac from Luke 8, struggling with his demons all alone out in the, uh, the desert place by the graveyard, 
But the sad twist in her case is that her life was not in a graveyard. It was around all of these other people. And yet, she was still not known. The question I could ask you is how many of you can relate to that? How many of you come to church on a regular basis and it, you still feel like you're not known? I read a, a story this morning uh, in The Economist, of all places. It showed up on my Facebook feed, and it talked about how uh, men in America are the loneliest we've ever been, men, and how despite... Um, all of the people that are in our lives, various forces uh, have taken shape to keep us from really making good friends in life. I've seen this play out in the lives of men around me, women too, in myself. It can be lonely at times. There's an isolation despite the community. So the question is, the same question that this woman, you know, 20 years ago, who's giving her testimony about what happened to her, is, does somebody know your heart? Does somebody know what's going on inside there? Back to the demoniac for a second. His response to Jesus is interesting because there's a few things happening. One, there's the resistance. I've already talked about it, but he, uh, he encounters Jesus and he says, I beg of you, don't torment me, right? This is what he says. He says, I beg of you, Jesus, don't torment me. The other, another piece uh, of what's interesting about this man's response to Jesus is, uh, as I said two weeks ago, it's, it's unclear who's talking. Is it the man or is it his, his demon, right? Is it the man himself or is it the demon doing the talking? Because sometimes he says, I, the man, and then sometimes he says, we, right? And he speaks in the plural. There's a clear isolation happening with this man. He's out in the graveyard. It seems, if you read closely, that the people of the town actually tried to keep him in town for a while. And they bound him up, and, and they tried to take care of him, but he would break the binds, and he ran out into the desert places and out to the graveyard. And then, no doubt, there's this feeling that this man has of being trapped, because he was. He was trapped, he was stuck in the life that he was in, and he needs this outside force. He needs Jesus, he needs, frankly, just anything outside of him to come in and to save him from the situation he's in. And only Jesus is capable of doing this for this man. And all of these things get connected to real life for you and for me and for the demons that might be plaguing us 
Because it turns out there's some similarities going on in our own demons and what this man is encountering 2,000 years ago. Depression. Let's start with that one. Depression. Have you been around depression in your life? Do you know what this looks like? Do you know what this, this feels like? There's a sense of resistance if you've ever tried to speak to somebody who is wrestling with depression. There's a, don't torment me, sometimes. There's a, why, why are you being so mean to me? Why are you doing this to me? And it seems they're lashing out at the very people who are trying to help them, right? I kept thinking about this for the last two weeks. And then there's this part. There's the, in the same way that the man, the demoniac, he, it's unclear if it's him or the demon speaking. It's not always clear if it's the depression speaking or the person speaking. You know what I'm talking about? Because it sometimes seems like it's that person, but if you get under the surface, you realize it's not. And they, they need the freedom. They, they, need something, they need help from the outside coming in, right? And no doubt, accompanied with all of this, is a sense of isolation, a sense of loneliness, a sense of feeling of being trapped, or bound, or stuck. And they need something coming in from the outside to help them. Same could be true of, uh, name the sin. I'm going to go with envy, Okay. I'm going to go with envy, but you, you name the sin here. Um, I don't, by the way, uh, think of depression as, as sinful, just so we're clear. Envy, however, is clearly a sin. It's desiring something that you shouldn't desire. And um, I'm also going to suggest that most of us, if not frankly all of us, have some sort of like pet sin that uh, some are worse than others, but we keep coming back to them for one reason or another, right? It just keeps plaguing us over and over again. And for some of you, that might be envy. And so the envy, it shows up. And when someone says to you, why are you acting like that? Why are you being so envious? You should just let that person have their victory, and you shouldn't want that victory for you. You should just be happy for that person, right? That's what envy is. And then the person lashes out. And you're trying to help them. And you're trying to show them a better way, but there's a lashing out. And then you're left with the question, well, is it the envy talking here, or is it this person talking? And there's a sense of isolation and a need for community and a feeling of being trapped by this thing and the, the whole Romans 7, doing what you don't want to do and not doing what, doing, yeah, and not doing what you want to do and not doing what you don't want to do. You know what I'm trying to say. The point being, you get stuck in this loop, right? 
Addiction, same thing. Have you ever known somebody with a substance abuse addiction? Maybe it's alcoholism. There's resistance when you say, hey, I think you drink too much, right? Why are you tormenting me? Don't torment me. Don't abuse me. Go away. And there's a lashing out. And then sometimes you're left asking the question, is this the alcohol speaking or is this the person speaking? And if you know them, there's a sense of isolation there. And a feeling like they're all alone. And then there's a feeling of being trapped, bound, stuck in a rut, doing the same thing over and over and over again. And someone from the outside needs to come in and to set them free. So what do we do? What do we do? Uh, the first thing I'd say is this. It's what we started with. You've got to name the demon. Alcoholics Anonymous, by the way, knows this. When you show up to a meeting and, and you've passed stage one or, or step one, uh, you, you, you've broken through denial and you recognize what it is that's plaguing you and you walk in and you say, hi, my name is, I'm an alcoholic. And I would encourage you to do the same thing with whatever it is. Hi, my name is Eric and I struggle with envy. Hi, my name is Eric, and I struggle with depression. Hi, my name is whatever that demon is. You've got to have a name for it. You've got to break through the denial, and you've got to name whatever that thing is that's plaguing you. Stop lashing out at the very people who are trying to help you and recognize what's really going, in, going on in here. Recognizing that Jesus has indeed washed away all of that sin, that Jesus has the power to defeat it all. But then there is some work left to do, which, get, which gets me to the passage for today. If you'll open your Bible, this one's from Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12. Starting in verse 43 we read uh, about an unclean spirit. And this is what we find. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it's been washed away. Jesus has dealt with it, right? It passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, you know what? I'm going to return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. The key word there, of course, is empty. 
It's been swept. It's been put in order. It's not been filled with something that it should be filled with. And then it goes, the demon, the unclean spirit, and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. That's a troubling word. You might understand why I didn't want to read it uh, right after a, a lovely time of, uh, of praise and worship together, right? An uplifting time, and then we read that. But in the context in which I'm speaking right now, it actually makes quite a lot of sense. You see, because uh, the legion that has been cast out of this man, that has been cast out of you, whatever that might be, well, it has left an empty space. The house should be swept. It should be cleaned up. But it shouldn't be left empty. It must be filled in some way. There must be steps that you begin to take to fill whatever void it is that was created when that thing leaves. I had the awesome opportunity of attending just one day of camp this week with our youth, and it was amazing. First of all, we have amazing youth. And the speaker uh, gave a riveting message, and we met afterward, and we began to speak about the message itself. And in the, me- uh, in, in the talking about the message, uh, the, the, the speaker gave uh, a number of points, and, and one of the points was to pay attention, right? Pay attention. Pay attention to what you, do you remember? See, right? To what you're hearing, and to what you're drinking, and eating, and all of these things, Right? Pay attention. Um, And the speaker's point was, like, don't put things into your body that you shouldn't be putting into your body, which is a great point to make. And then one of our brilliant youths, Molly, uh, made the astute observation that you should also pay attention to what you should see and, and what you should hear and what you should eat, and what you should drink. And and you have to not just do the work of pulling things out, but you have to then fill back up your life with something, something healthy, something that brings life, something that is, is good for you. And so it was amazing to listen. And, and, and the pastor himself even said, I'm writing this down and I'm going to use this in the next time I talk. And I wrote it down too. <laughs> and so what do we fill it with? Um, in some ways, the answer is uh, perhaps simple. Uh, the, the church has a very long tradition of spiritual disciplines, Right? And I definitely commend these to you. Things like reading our scripture regularly, praying regularly, uh, meeting uh, with others regularly, coming to church, worshiping, um, uh, fasting, right? Uh, There's all sorts of uh, disciplines that the the church uh, at large and church history has given to us as ways to fill our lives with healthy things. We should do all of those for sure. That is one way to fill your house. 
that, that unclean spirit feels nicer than demon. Unclean spirit will not return, right? But there is this other part, too, and it got talked about that night as well, which is account, accountability. Accountability. Who are we accountable to? And this gets back to where the story of the demoniac ends, right? It gets back to the household he gets sent to. It gets back to the job he's given to tell the good things that Jesus has done for him, which he goes and he does. And it gets back to some of the problems that you and I face, the problem of loneliness and separateness, a problem that must be fixed. Because if you're lonely and if you're separated, then you probably don't have somebody who knows you, who knows, like that woman on the stage giving the testimony at my 20th anniversary or 20th reunion, no one knew her. Someone needs to know you. So that when you begin to go off the road, so that when you begin to struggle, so that, heck, when they begin to struggle, when they just simply begin to get emotional, you understand what's happening in their life, and they understand what's happening in your life. The last story I want to tell you, <clears throat> one final story from uh, my college reunion goes like this. Actually, maybe there's two. Uh, the first is uh, the preacher for the day told a story that I thought was, was just okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix his story for him if you'll let me, uh, which is t a terrible thing to do. I, I shouldn't be doing that. Um, but here's what he said. He said uh, when he was in college, he had this thing that uh, in his own life that he was still holding on to, and he wouldn't give it up to God. And, and so he, uh, he went into the Hughes Chapel, and he sat there, and he said, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to sit here until like, I give this thing up to God finally, right? And he said, uh, so he sits down, and uh, he, he looks, and there's like a a door that's open, and he, he's like, ah. And he, he walks up, and he closes the door, and then he comes back down, he sits back down, and then he's sitting there for a minute, and, uh, and then someone walks in, and he's kind of awkwardly, you know, twi twiddling his thumbs, and, and then he, uh, the person leaves, and, and then finally, the janitor comes in and, uh, and kicks him out, right? The story, I think, was meant to be comical, but here's what I thought in my head. The man had at least two opportunities to tell someone, to reveal to somebody, even if it's the janitor, what's going on in his life, what it is that he's holding on to, and he missed both. But let's not be too harsh on the guy. I'm pretty sure I would have missed both opportunities as well. But we're in a room full of people who love each other and love Jesus. And yet I'm sure that more than a few of us feel isolated. 
And it just takes somebody stepping out and being vulnerable, being honest, and saying, this is what's really going on in my heart. All right, final story, also from my reunion. I, uh, backdropping this whole thing for me uh, is, um, well, a friend of mine uh, who I haven't seen in 20 years, right? Comes up to me at the reunion. His name is Billy Coppage. And uh, he starts to ask me all kinds of questions about my ministry. Uh, he's been over in Uganda for like 20 years. Uh, he's a missionary. And he's, uh, he's, he's filled with definitely the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he's asking me about what's going on in, in Northern Virginia and uh, what's happening in my life. And, uh, and you know, we, start, we get talking. And at some point... He reaches over and he grabs my arm and he looks me dead in the eyes and he says, Eric, you know, Jesus likes you. <laughs> Which was a weird thing to hear. Have you ever, has anyone said that to you? Jesus likes you. We hear Jesus loves you all the time. Which he does. It's the demons. The demons are at work here. Jesus likes you as well, however. And that is why he's going to make you uncomfortable on occasion because he doesn't want you wrestling with those demons, whatever they are. He wants you freed from them. And he's going to make you uncomfortable at times because he wants that out of your life. That's how much he likes you. He wants you to be a genuinely free person walking easily through this world with your head held high and your heart full of God's grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that we find in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who has set us free. God, today, as we think through our past, as we think through what has plagued us, God, may we be the kind of people who begin to do the work necessary to rid ourselves of those things and to live free lives, to be vulnerable with one another, to be open and to be honest, to be accountable to one another, and to live into the freedom that we all have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together. I pray that God is doing a work in your heart right now. If he is, I'll say this much. You can't just walk out of here and keep it to yourself. That's kind of what the whole sermon was about. You got to talk to somebody. Tell somebody. Tell multiple people. You've got to name the demon, and then you've got to tell somebody about it. And if that person doesn't help you, we'll find a second person, a third person, and a fourth person until someone finally is capable of walking through whatever it is with you. That person is here. That person is out there in the world. 
That person might be me. I'd be happy to be that person too. Whatever it is, be thinking about that. Pray about that. Bring that to God and bring that to somebody else. Let's sing together one final song.